Welcome to Your Life, The Sequel, a podcast about getting your act together and making change happen in your life. You want change and we want to help you with guests and discussions about how to make change in your life. Whether big or small, change can happen. This is your chance to become the person you were meant to be. Now here are your hosts, Rick Roshan and Melissa Carlson. Welcome, everybody, to Your Life, the sequel. I'm Melissa Carlson. Hey, Melissa Carlson. How you doing? Doing good. I love this topic today. I think this is one that is really going to hit home for a lot of people, women, men. It's something that so many people go through. Well, I'm Rick Roshan, and I am the co-host to Melissa. I'm bringing on a very, very dear friend today. Her name is Shane Turgeon, and she is one of the people that we promised to bring you, a person who has gone through a lot of change in her life. She didn't get to necessarily choose the time that she was going to be going through the change, not the change, but this change. And <laughs> and so I want to hear all about her story. So here is Shane Turgeon. She's going to tell us a little bit about herself, and then we're going to learn about her uh, story. Hey, Shane. Hi, thanks for having me on. So my name is Shane Turgeon, and I guess the change for me began, I'll talk a little bit about who I was before growing up. Um, I'll make it very brief. From a young age, I kind of, I was kind of strong-willed. I had, you know, I listened to my heart. I, I had a lot of feelings, and I got into a string of kind of bad relationships, as every teenager does and young adult. And so I think going into my marriage, it was more of a safe feeling. It felt very adult. It felt very grown up. And that kind of felt a lot like I was making a lot of people around me happy by making the choices that I made. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I think a lot of women do that in life. I think a lot of women really tap into what other people might think or what things look like on the surface or expectations from society. And I made a really safe choice, what felt very safe at the time. And your background's really very traditional, right? Like very, yeah. there were a lot of expectations, I think, that, that were given to you, right? That That's, were yeah. about That's who you're going to be and what your life is going to look like. Yes, yes. Like a lot of women. I, I, yeah. I want to say, I would say 90% of women are from a very young age. We're told kind of what to do and how to do it. Yeah, even if it's not so much through words, it's through watching, you know, I came from a pretty conservative family. I mean, they're a lot of fun. They're really wonderful people. But the women tend to take a certain role. The men tend to take another role. And that's I felt myself in my young 20s starting to think, well, I should have kids and I should get married. And that's the right thing to do. And the, the clock's a ticking at 24, right, which seems funny now. Mm-hmm. But I think that I didn't really trust myself. I didn't really trust my own intuitions and my feelings about, you know, I didn't take seriously the importance of how important it is to choose your life partner and who you choose. And I kind of went with a very safe, secure, good provider, you know. Good family. Had the big house. Yeah, yeah had kids right away. You know, from, from my honeymoon, I felt something was off. There wasn't a lot of love. There wasn't a lot of, care or nurturing. There wasn't a lot of like, he's a wonderful man, but you know, there wasn't a lot of like connection. And so we had babies, you know, because that's what you do when you're looking for love, you have a baby and you fill yourself with busyness and tasks and raising children. And I think that is a time too, when a lot of marriages get stressed because you're 
chasing kids and dealing with toddlers and you're feeding people and you're cleaning up. Well, and I think the intimacy can also get affected because you're chasing kids, you're doing all the Mm -hmm. stuff. The kids are your little bucket of nurturing and emotion. And, you know, the husband may be not getting as much and (laughs) literally and figuratively, (laughs) you know, and so, and then you stop spooning when you're sleeping and then you start moving to the side of the bed and then the dog finds its way in between the two of you. And And by the way, I think it's important to say also that I think a lot of times people think of like the woman as the one who starts to like just concentrate on the kids and not and, and not their husband. But in fact, it is the husband who also decides to pull away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, it always rubs yeah. me. It always rubs me when I hear, you know, the pulling away happens by both. I think it's so important to say that, you know, the men do it too. That's very Women true. might be concentrating on the kids, but the men are just as responsible for pulling away. Well, yeah, I feel too sure. for me, even from my honeymoon, I remember feeling lonely and inviting my entire family to come out where we were just because it was there was... <laughs> You know, how you, know, you invite your family to your honeymoon? Guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> but I just, I wanted to surround myself with people and family because I was lonely, you know? And so for me, it was kind of opposite. I could, I could try to pull that love out of him, you know? And I was always yeah. trying to like sit on his lap and put my arms around him and pull it out because I just knew as women, we think, oh, it's in there. I can pull it out, you know? Yeah. And that started getting tiring. And when you introduce kids into it, it takes it to a whole new level where you're exhausted and you don't have the time to pull it out. Years go by. And I think you kind of think, well, when the kids get older and leave, we'll be able to reconnect. Or I think in actuality, as the kids get older, you start to see like, this is my life, you know, like I have this time, but nothing's really changing. Nothing's really growing together. So let's fast forward a little bit. So then you find yourself on the doorstep of your marriage ending, which you may or may not have been prepared for. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what that early experience was for you? So you were a stay-at-home mom. You were not working outside of the home. for over a decade, yeah. Yeah, not working outside of the home. You had a big, fat, gorgeous house on the water. Yeah, and we lived next to my parents and next to my sister's family and right down the road from my brother's family, which was wonderful because wow. all the kids could grow up together. But it was it was all of that that kept me there, that kept yeah. me happy. And so I found myself planning parties or having big holidays, and I would spend my time getting ready for that. And then I'd notice when Christmas was over, I'd kind of start to get depressed. And mm. I got to the point where I was just like, I feel like I need to be careful. I'm a pretty happy person, but I feel myself falling a bit into depression. And, and uh, you know, a series of events happened and a lot of financial issues where I could start to see that maybe we were going to lose our house, you know? Oof. And I felt like I didn't have a lot of control over if that was going to happen or not, because I didn't really have a say in how we would go about making a plan to keep it. Or any of your finances, really, right? Uh, yeah, no, I didn't have a clue with how much money. I didn't know if we had $50 in the bank or 5000 I really, I was not involved in any part of that. Mm. So the whole thing was just very scary because I think a lot of women, and now that I talk to women who are, you know, on the edge of separation, their biggest fear sometimes is, well, I've got to stay because I have this life mm-hmm. and I've got yeah. these kids and I have this level of living. It's not necessarily financial. It's just... What would it look like? What would the other side look like? You know? Well, and you never fantasize when you're in a position like that. You never think like, you know what's going to be awesome? 
when this is over. You don't think about that. You think about <laughs> right. how it's going to be horrible, how you're going to be pushing a shopping cart. Yep. <laughs> we negative future trip as opposed to thinking like, this could be a really great thing. That did not even cross my mind. <laughs> but there is a little voice in me where I wished I was more like, you know, some of the other women in my family that are these strong women that can, you know, go about their day and not focus so much on me, 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 and what am I feeling and what am I needing? And I had this voice inside me that was just like, this isn't your life, you know, this can't be your life. Yeah. So that's when I started going to the gym more and starting to do things that were kind of unprecedented from how I'd lived my life up until that point. And as I started kind of tapping into that voice, things kind of opened up a little bit where it wasn't so scary. And, you know, we had tried therapy quite a few times and that seemed to go nowhere and it kind of escalated. But I went through this really dark time where we were living together, but separate. And we were kind of having a little bit of our own lives, but trying to make it okay for the kids. But I also had this added pressure of my family around me and what they thought sure. it should look like. and that weighed on me. Well, and I think that as a, as a friend of yours, I think that that's a really important part of your story is that duality where you wanted to be a good daughter. You wanted to be, you wanted to do the thing that you were raised to do, which was to suck it up and stay in there. But then this other part of you is like, I think I want more. Yeah, exactly. Some people look at that and they're like, yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks. And then, you know, (laughs) another 40 years go by Yeah, But you didn't. You said, you know what? I am ready to roll. Well, it got so miserable that I had to make a choice. Like, am I in or am I out? You know, Mm -hmm. like, can I handle it the way it is with all? And I was surrounded by just, I don't think it was purposeful, but disappointment and judgment and like a Mm -hmm. microscope on, on, I mean, there were times where I sat in my car to make sure my whole family came home before I would go to the gym because I didn't want to look like I was gone at the gym again. And what kind of mother would I be if I went to the gym again? And, and I started seeing a therapist, which I think there's a lot of shame in as women, but I recommend good therapy to everybody. Cause I, I feel it's funny that you brought up your forties because I feel like that's, that is a time when a lot of women, you know, when you're in your twenties, you don't, a lot of people don't know themselves. They don't know what are my main needs what is a big need in my life that I can't live without? Sure. And, and what do I need to be happy? Because every relationship is a trade-off. It's like, you're always giving up something to get something. Sure. But for me, there was a big need missing. And I realized going through all this that I'm never going to get it here. Can I ask you really quickly? I think that for, for any woman that has ever thought about something like this, the big thing is I would never be able to say it. Can you tell me about the day, the minute, the time that you actually said your truth? I can imagine that must have been terrifying. Well, I remember the moment. Exactly. It was one night and we were laying in bed and my husband was very regimented and and very logical, very good, but very logical. And he had his sparkling water sitting by the bed. And I had been to the gym and uh, I was a little sore and I'm like, well, I'm going to take something for this. And I don't have any water up here. I'm just going to sneak around and take a sip, you know, of his water. And I know this is a very literal story, but um, I remember him just waking up and saying, what are you doing? Why now that, you know, logically that's my water. And if you, if you were prepared, you would have, you know, it was this long drawn out thing where I was like, 
something, it wasn't a big thing. And, but something in my brain literally clicked. And I was like, I need somebody. My big need is if they don't have any, anything else, they're willing to sit up and say, take my water. You don't need to go downstairs. You know, like it was something so literal that snapped where I was like, this is not going to work. And this is not for me. And I think that the need that I, I did a lot of reading, I checked out, I think 12 library books on whether to stay or whether to go. And it was so embarrassing checking these out. And I had them for a year and I looked through them at night and I highlighted things and I wrote things down trying to really figure out like, am I making a mistake? And I wasn't even really planning an escape. I just stopped feeding it and it was just kind of falling apart on its own. And I think that at this point you were open to anything, right? Well, my, my therapist said, what would it look like after months if you weren't in this marriage? And my heart did a thing. It was like, that's not a thing. That can't be a thing. That's just not even a, not even a discussion. Mm -hmm. And she kind of bookmarked that and was like, wow, interesting. Okay. And then she started to bring it up more and more. And finally she said, well, what, I hear you saying you're not happy, but what I hear you saying is the fear comes from everybody else judging you, not the loss of this 13 year relationship. And that was right. That was true. I wasn't worried about being without him or missing him. I was worried about the judgment really was that powerful. And I said, everybody will freak out. Everybody will think I'm terrible. Everybody. And she thought I was exaggerating for sure. But we laughed a year or two later because she's like, that actually kind of happened. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) you know, yeah, remember that thing that you thought was the most horrible thing that could happen. Yeah, that pretty much happened. Yeah. (laughs) So I really did one day. um, He got to the point where he couldn't live like that either. You know, and he was like, I've been in the guest house for a year. We're miserable. You know, he's on Tinder or whatever. And. I started forming a new relationship with somebody at my gym that I wouldn't suggest right when you're getting out of a, out of a long-term marriage, but I was so lonely and I had nobody. Mm-hmm. And this person started as a friend and he just kind of picked me up and said, you're not going to go through this by yourself. So eventually it just all became weird, you know, and it was like time to go and, and he wasn't going to go. And we had this little rental house that I finally said, I'm doing it. I'm moving. And I was so scared for my kids. I remember my dad saying one time, if you get divorced, it will change who your kids are. And Oof. that weighed on me like a ton of bricks, you sure, know? Of and of course, he's coming from his own experiences, you know, from a broken family. And I don't blame him at all for that. He might really he have thought that was the best thing for us. But I had so many voices in my head. So fast forward to me moving. I had a couple good friends come and help move me. There was no speak of it around my neighborhood uh, and my family. I just had to do it. And that's kind of when this dark but great period in my life happened where I went back to work. I got a job at the front desk of a gym for minimum wage. And I started teaching fitness classes. And I was just really broken for a while. I was really questioning everything I was and what I was doing. I didn't feel like I could care for these kids properly. I thought, I'm not capable. I'm not strong. I'm anxious. You know, I had a hard time sleeping alone before when my husband would go out of town, like my mom would have to come stay with me because I had so much anxiety in my life. And, and so I started from this really ground zero. And Rick always laughs at me because I literally had $7 to my name. 
we were very financially destitute by this time. We were very house poor, I guess is the term. Mm. And we lived like that for years, you know. So it was kind of weirdly rewarding getting this tiny paycheck because it was mine. And I could spend it however I could control it, you know. And I hadn't been responsible for a mortgage or bills. And these bills were coming up. And I was really relying on my ex-husband to give me something. And that didn't usually happen right away. So I felt myself stuck and like, I'm still relying on, on this, but I'm free, but I'm not really free. And I'm working, you know, a couple of jobs and trying really hard to put food on the table. And my biggest concern was that the kids' lives were going to change, which I don't know what that looked like for me, like maybe less Christmas presents or that feel. I just didn't want them to have that feeling that like things aren't okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I mean, I would cry at night, but I would get up and be the fun mom. And if they wanted to do a sport, I would figure out how to pay for it. And that sounds terrible. I mean, I didn't do anything I could to pay for it. I would wait for my <laughs> paycheck Yeah, yeah. and I would somehow pay my mortgage. You know, I sold my wedding ring to get a little money in the bank and uh, we lived off that for a while. And there was a day where I was sitting out on this lawn chair in my backyard and I was exhausted. And I called my ex-husband just to say like, when are you going to be able to pay me? My daughter was in, or she had some bill due for rowing that she was doing. And it was, he was like, well, I just can't. And I couldn't say you can't do rowing because we can't pay for it. So I figured it out and I paid for it, but I said, something has to be done. I've got to make a plan. And so I sat down with a little sketch pad and a pen, which is so unlike me. I'm the least organized. I never have a plan. I always just, you know, whatever pops into my head is what I do. And I, I found it the other day. So it's kind of funny that it just said like one year, one year, you're going to be able to support yourself and you're not going to need anything from anybody. That's awesome. Yeah. Like how do you design your life and how do you design your life in this place where you have no idea what the future looks like? Or how to do it or how or yeah. how to tactically do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I was just scanning my brain. Like how many fitness classes can I teach? You know, going back quickly to that, though, the one thing that that job did give me was when you're forced to be on for other people, when you're forced to, my job was to greet people and be like, good morning, everybody, you know, and to give energy and to motivate people. And how do you do that when you're sitting in your car crying, thinking I can't do it today? I, I, I can't motivate people. I'm like in the bottom of a, of a hole, you know, and I'd start to see people walking by with their spin shoes, going to my class. And I'd be like, all right, I got to, I, I don't have, I don't have any other choice. So I'd go in there and I'd flip it on and I'd start the music. And by the end of class, I felt amazing, you know, and there's something to be said for fake it till you make it. Because sometimes if you just force yourself to get out of bed and and you get out there and you do the thing that you really don't want to do and you surround yourself with happy people that are out living their life. I mean, it, it really, really does help. So going back to this piece of paper, there was a couple of real estate agents that would come into the gym and they would chat at the front desk and be like, why don't you get into real estate? And don't you have a history? My ex-husband and I would build houses. That's what we would do. He would build them and I would kind of design them and sell them by owner we did that for years. And so I knew a few people out in the community and they were like, why don't you get your license? And I think especially a lot of women, their first instinct is to say, oh, I could never do that. Oh, I could never 
that's too hard. I couldn't do that, you know? And instead of saying, why couldn't I do that? You know, it's like these voices in your head are so strong saying like, no, this is what you do. And this is where you are. And this is where you belong. And so I was like, well, why don't I try that? You know, and I had to borrow the money from my now boyfriend and the $400 to get my license. And it took me a solid year because I was working by this time, I think three jobs and I'd fall asleep with the iPad against my face, you know, it's amazing. It's not an exciting course <laughs> to say the least, but it took me a year to get my license and I did it and I passed it. And then I said, I'm going to give myself another year to work both jobs and do real estate, which Rick will tell you is very tricky. Yeah, Real estate is a full-time gig. And I yeah. found myself saying, Oh yeah, I can't, I can't take you to see that house today because I have an appointment, but I was really sitting at my job, you know, for 11, $12 an hour. I sold a couple of things. I had some, a lot of luck. I had a lot of support. I got in with a great company. At first I tried to play both roles. I'd change from sweaty fitness gear in my car to like fancy clothes. So I felt like I matched my office and I matched my colleagues (laughs) and I was driving around in my little Kia and one day, I mean, I think that this natural progression happened where you start to like, it took me a year or two of living this life where I was embarrassed that I was separated. I didn't know who in the community knew what. I didn't know who had heard what. And I think as you just kind of come into yourself and the kids would look at me like I was capable and strong and you start to realize I am. You find these little bits of gold dust, you know, and you're like, wow, I can do this. I can do that. And and we had so much peace and so many laughs through those years. And, and me and the kids really got to be a really strong unit, you know. And I love that they still see their dad. And, and he's found this relationship where their needs really do mesh well. And now I have this relationship where no relationship's perfect, but my these big needs that I had are getting met. But mm-hmm. I've also realized everything can fall apart and I'm still okay. You know, and if I lose everything, I can still rebuild and it can be better. It's kind of an art form to learn to follow the voice in your heart rather than all these voices in your head, especially as women, where you're like, what should I be doing? And what does everybody think I should be doing? And silencing all that and and really tapping into like, who am I authentically? Because that's the life that's powerful to lead, you know, and that's where all your gifts come out. And you really can change your world if you live from that. You know, your heart's always right. Your intuition is always right. And we kind of learn as women to stifle that a little bit. A question for you. You're now on the other side of it, where maybe people that are listening to this are just now beginning or something that you've said has been like, oh my God, that's me. If your current self could tell your prior self before or right at that divorce, something, you know, grab her by the face or the shoulders and say, hey, Shane, you need to know this before you keep going forward. What would you tell her? Well, that's a really good question. I might have to think about that for a second. I mean, there's so many things I would say. I would say like, your heart is right. Stop using your brain, you know, stop trying to overthink everything. Don't be scared to say no. Don't be scared to really think about who you are and and what you want. I'd really say like, what do you want the rest of your life to look like? Because, you know, some people do change. And obviously the goal is to keep your family intact. I mean, I I want that for everybody. And it's funny because I've kind of become this like go-to person for other women in my family who are going to go through a divorce or are in the process of it. 
And I, I don't have all the answers. All I can say is, for me, I didn't try to be some divorce trailblazer, but some people change. And if, if that person is saying, I want to work on this with you, I want to grow with you, I, I want that. But if they're not, like, look at the last five years, look at the last 10 years. That's 10 years from now, that's probably what your life's going to look like. Another quick story, I went to visit my grandma who was dying. When this was all going on, I took my little daughter and it was my grandpa's third marriage on my dad's side. We didn't really see that side of the family very much. And I went to go visit her and she was kind of right on that point, like where her eyes were closed and she was kind of half in and half out of life. And my grandpa came in and he knelt down on his knees and he, he kissed her all over the head. And he was like, look at my beautiful bride. And, and, and his eyes just lit up just seeing her, you know, and he was trying to crawl in the bed with her. You know, he was, he was there for her. And I got this flashback of my life and I could just see it being like, Hey, can someone wipe the drool off her face and like, call me? Like if you, you know, like it was just a very, I knew that wasn't my experience. I wasn't going to ever have that experience in my life again. And I'm also not saying you need somebody to give you these things to be happy because really the ultimate lesson is I don't, I'm in a relationship that I choose now because I'm happy. And if it doesn't work out, I'll be okay. If I get married again, great. If I don't, that means something I'll choose something different, you know? Um, But in that moment, that was another moment where I was like, I need love. I need someone that values me. I need someone that sees me. I need someone that, knows what they have because everybody has, you know, everybody's a treasure. And the one person in your life that should see that is the person you share your life with. You know, if you're running around trying to get it from other people, you really should look at why. So hopping in to toot your horn and we'll be wrapping up shortly. And I want to get your final thoughts on what people who are listening to this should think about and how to kind of just think about change. So let's fast forward you start out on your own, you borrow money to get your real estate license, you work three jobs to make it happen, you work two jobs to get your real estate career going, you are the top 10 of agents in your office, you had never purchased a home without a man before, no. and you have just purchased your own big, beautiful home by yourself with your money that you earned (laughs) from selling all kinds of real estate to be number 10 in your office. You are buying investment properties now and flipping properties, which is what you did with your husband, which you're now doing all on your own. And you've got an amazing group of kids. You've got a really successful relationship. So you have really like the story arc on this is you can't write this kind of stuff. (laughs) <laughs> so it, congratulations. I really Thank admire you, you and your and your stick-to-itiveness. No one will ever outwork Shane Turgeon. That is not going to happen. <laughs> and she is a real testimony to hard work and deciding you're going to do something and getting through it. So in closing, can you kind of tell the people that are listening, you know, what your thoughts are on how to make a change, even when you are like so far from a place where you can change? I would say start with the big picture and work backwards. Picture your life, how you want it to be when you're retired, say, 
You know, what do you want your years to look like? What do you see your life? What do you envision for yourself? And then work backwards. Like, how do I make that happen? And what I think people get stuck thinking well, I'm 40 or I'm 50 or I'm 60 and I can't. It's too late for me. Sure. It's never too yes. late. I mean, when you're 80 years old, growth is everything. Yes. And reaching for that next thing. And what I love about what I love about Rick and I, we, we try on all kinds of ideas. You know, we're like we pick it up and we say, well, th- could this work? Would this work? And if it doesn't, we put it back down. But, you know, it's something that it's never too late to do. And you just need a you need a rough plan. How am I going to get there? And you need to do one thing every month and then every week and then every day or your life will stay the same and you'll still be dreaming about it 10 years from now. You've got to put one tiny thing, a digestible piece into action. Like, what can I do today toward that? Maybe it's like I clean up my house and I, and I buy something nice to wear to an interview someday, or I, or I, I make a list of what I need to do to get there or what's the first baby step and never pigeonhole yourself into one thing. You can be so many things. I mean, some of the most colorful Enigmatic people that I look at have so many different facets to them in their sure. life. They're not just this or just that, but it's it's really just starting. Just starting to take that baby step. Don't think about it too much. Just take it. A little at a time. Well, Shane, this has been amazing. Thank you thank so you. much for taking you time both. out of your busy day. Fun. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Congratulations. That is awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. And have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Your Life, The Sequel. Make sure to visit our website, Revitalist, at revital.ist, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. Or just sign up for our newsletter, The Revitalist, filled with daily tips for making change in your life. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Inspirational Change. Be the change you want to be.